Hello and welcome to episode number 181 of the DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books and with me today is Sassy Outwater. Sassy is a music producer and awesome general human being. She provides all of the music for this podcast, but she's also someone I've known for several years. We caught up with her last year before she was having cancer surgery, and then we caught up afterward to find out how her brain was recovering from having had a tumor removed. This episode, we're going to talk about some of the health issues that she's been having. We're going to talk about Scottish music, and we're going to talk about continuing romance and sexuality through disability and illness, and how chronic illness and disability are often portrayed in a way that is entirely devoid of sexuality, which really ticks her off. And this is just an all-sassy podcast because she also provided the music. The music you're hearing was provided by Sassy, and I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is. Plus, because we talk about Scottish music, I have some audio samples of two different forms of Scottish music in the middle of the episodes. This is a pretty musical episode. I hope you enjoy it. And now, without any further delay, on with the podcast. Hello there. Good morning. Good morning. Sorry, I got stuck on hold waiting for a doctor. <laughs> oh, doctors. Yes. So, listen. Yo. If you have a seizure while we're recording, is there anything you need me to do? Uh, no, Pratik is, is hanging out over there. He'll, he'll, uh, or in the other room, so he'll grab help and do what he needs to do. How severe just... are your seizures? Um, it used to be just aphasic. So all that would happen is I couldn't talk or it would sound like I was all garbled. Right. Um, now they are pretty severe. A couple weeks ago, I had a series of them in the middle of the subway because like you do. Hey, if um, you're going to go with a seizure, then you want to go in front of as many people who don't want to talk to each other as possible, right? Right. Right. And totally. At hour, and at rush hour. Luckily, it wasn't on the train or on the platform. It was like in between the two platforms. Oh, even better. Um, so like right in front of all of the T employees, which was fantastic because it wasn't like I wasn't trampled by raging Boston passengers, which, you know, could totally be a thing. Right. And at least T employees are aware that medical emergencies happen and know what and to do. They know what to do. Yeah. Last time, um, yes, there was a last time I was walking down the steps at a oh, station and I fell down a few steps. That time I happened to be with a friend of mine who was able to, you know, he, she knew what was happening. So she was able to coordinate like EMS and people around. But this time I was just running errands on my own and, you know, so nobody kind of knew what was going on. And I didn't wake up until I was in the ER. Um, so those, there are just kind of two kinds that are going on right now. There's the focal uh, aphasia seizures where I just can't talk. And then there's mm -hmm. like full on. Grand seizing. mall body yeah, shaking. Didn't happen ever until September of for me um I used to just get the the phasic stuff and not very often and now it's pretty common um and this is all a, a side effect of not the brain cancer but the radiation that you had before that when you were a kid is that right a lot of it yes are is attributed to that um it caused the brain tumors so my tumors I can have tumors from two different sources. I can get them because I have that genetic. Retinoblastomas caused for those of us who have it in both eyes is caused by a gene called RB1. Right. Um, 
and that causes other cells to not know when to stop dividing and cause cancer throughout the body Mm -hmm. for the rest of your life. So you get really high screening for things like bladder cancer and some different types of bone cancer and things like that. They kind of know the most common ones to look for. So they Mm -hmm. watch you very closely. But then there's this thing where if you get radiation, you can also get secondary tumors because of the radiation. Right. So my tumors were a result of, of that. And going in there twice and doing surgery caused scarring. And between the radiation damage and the scarring, that's kind of what is causing all of this. And they don't know... They can't separate out what's more responsible for it, but they can give their best guess. And at this point, because of the brain damage that they're seeing and the scarring that they're seeing, they're thinking it's kind of a combination of both. And it just is a twist of fate. Nobody predicted. There's something called SMART syndrome, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which stands for... Which is a terrible name, by the way. Like, if you have smart syndrome, you should be able to do, like, you know, when you need to multiply a recipe by one and a half, you should just be able to look at the book and be like, boom, I know what to do here. Somebody jokingly said, I need to get you a t-shirt that says I have smart ass syndrome. I'm like, yeah, basically. (laughs) Yes. Yes, please. Yeah, I do need that t-shirt. So, basically... It stands for stroke-like seizures and migraines as related to radiotherapy. Um, I don't know. Who the hell came up with that? I stroke, some... Stroke-like migraines as a result of radiation therapy? And it's very, uh, very uncommon. Like, you can Google this and there will be, like, almost virtually nothing. Ugh. And it usually shows up for people who are in their 50s or you adults over 40 who have had brain tumors brain tumors don't usually happen until you're over your 40s or you are a very young child those are the two times where brain cancers are most common right they can happen other times but um and you get radiation to the cerebral area of the brain (laughs) so that's where they're used to seeing this thing show up and they don't i mean there's so many things that are contributing to this and and kind of all collecting to cause what's going on right now that all they're they're primarily focused right now on just getting it under control. Trying to get epilepsy under control is always a joyful cocktail of medicines. and All of which do really and, messed up things, right? I have a friend who has, uh, yeah. has epilepsy and she went through several medications. And yeah. you know how women's body chemistry like changes every 10 to 15 years? And you got to start all over again and be yes. like, oh, look, different house, same yep, yep. body, different house. Got to figure out the new cocktail. And she she was so sleepy. Yep. Like she's like, I'm cleared it's, to drive, except for the part where my medicine makes me fall asleep, so I shouldn't yes. drive. Basically, it turns you into a narcolepsy. Yeah. Um, and it makes your birth control ineffective, so you have to go do other birth control. Oh, dude. I know, right? Like dude. That's, like, no. That's what I was sitting on hold for when I was waiting for this, because yesterday they changed my meds again. And again. Like, let's have the birth control talk. I'm like, let's not, because awkward. Oh. Um, and... So now I have to go talk to my specialist OBGYN and be like, my brain doesn't like my uterus and my uterus doesn't play nice with my brain. What can you do to fix this? Can you get like a, a, um, a, a an IUD or anything? Technically, it can cause issues. Um, so I have to check with my oncologist and oh, geez, Louise. Because, you know, so, it's totally yeah. easy to coordinate multiple doctors to talk to each other. Like, they oh do that all God. the time. Like, it's easy. Just get them all on, like, Google Hangouts. It happens all the time. Not. 
I am trying to localize as much of my care as I possibly can, but I'm coordinating one, two, three, four, three hospitals regularly, four occasionally. Um, but I don't even see a doctor anymore unless they are directly affiliated. Like their hosp- their office is in one of those hospitals because I just can't do it. And like right now, when I had the seizure a couple weeks ago that put me in the hospital, um, they just, you know, all of my health information, you have that little app on your phone that tells them. Did you, you have know. to buy a new phone with more memory just to hold that app? <laughs> you like walk around with like a thumb drive the size of a small turtle and be like, here you go. <laughs> Pretty much. But then they don't read it. Like they just grabbed and ran. And I get that because, you know, save lives and stuff like that. We don't have time to check cell phones, but they just grabbed and ran to the nearest hospital. So I wake up and I'm at a hospital I've never been at before. I'm like, great. Oh, that's 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 like at the bottom of a long staircase. Oh, my God. The disability stuff was so bad at that hospital. Oh, my God. I wanted to scream. I got out of there as soon as I could. But it was just like they, they, there was no way for you to get around. And no, it's you come in with a service dog. The ER was fantastic. The emergency department nurses went above and beyond this, you know, woman shows up with a guide dog. The EMS did exactly right. Go Boston EMS. I love you hardcore. Um, They did exactly right. They grabbed my dog. They grabbed me. I was completely out unconscious seizing whatever, but they took the dog with me. Um, I wake up. The first thing that they're doing is grabbing my hand saying, if you can hear me, squeeze my hand. And of course I can't talk. Right. Um, and I have to communicate to them. I'm perfectly intelligent. I'm perfectly capable of, you know, interacting with you and making my own medical decisions. And that's something that automatically comes up when you see a patient with neurological issues and disabilities is can they make their own medical decisions? Are right. they competent to do that? Um, so you don't just show up in the hospital. You've got to deal with proving your IQ within 30 seconds. Oy. And you feel like crap because your brain just rebooted itself and did a backflip. Um, so you have like mega brain blue screen. Oh yeah, please wait. Screen of, of blue is showing and you're trying to Wait, no no no, you're a Mac person. So it's, I am a it's Mac a, person. It's a spinning case... beach ball. The spinning yes. beach ball is like five feet wide. Yes. And it's not going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> but the they did exactly right in that um the paramedic or whoever that was standing by my bed was like, Your dog is right here, he's looking over the edge of the bed, I'm holding him. Aww. He's with you. Um, so and I'm sure the exactly dog is right. like, what? Ferdy was amazing. Like he has really been stressed out in the past by mm-hmm. all of this stuff, but he's starting to get it. He's starting to understand that this is part of his working life and it doesn't stress him out as much as it used to. He's just kind of like, okay, I know she's okay. I know she's in good hands. He's always been scared of firefighters. Like mm-hmm. the firefighters come in or he sees them in full turnout gear walking somewhere and he's like, ah, uh-uh, you are, you are an alien. You look weird. Yep. You smell weird. I don't like you. Um, but for whatever reason, he's been my in the ambulance has... a couple times, and he gets it. Just... My human has unique situations. Right. <laughs> he handles it like a pro. And he just stuck his nose over the edge of the bed and looked at me. He's like, okay, you're okay. Hey. I can go hang out here. Um, Let me just tell you, Sassy, I checked the vending machine. It's terrible. We need to get out of here. There's no dog <laughs> bones in there. We need to go. <laughs> For real, lady, this is not good. <laughs> well, literally, like, one of the nurses walks in and she's like, what can I do for your dog? Does he need a walk? Does he need water? Can oh, I get him some goodness. food? 
what do I do? And I'm like, in my backpack is food, a bowl, water, you know, like I carry around all his stuff for him. I'm sure you carry more stuff for him than for you. I do. Because that's just how it is. (laughs) Well, that and it's wintertime in Boston. I have dog shoes. I have a dog coat. I have a dog bowl. I have dog food. I have a water bottle for the dog. I have a water bottle for me. I carry baby food because that's one of the things that I can eat right now. Oh, Um, and what baby food are you enjoying? (laughs) Um, right now, there's currently a smoothie sitting next to me, and there is, I don't know, peas and carrots and broccoli or kale and apple or something like that. Oh, um, man. I don't know what they are. I just grab them out of the, the basket that I keep them in. Oh, man. Just, you know. But wait um, a minute. Baby food labels are not um, Braille. There's... No, I could scan the barcode with my phone and figure out ah, if, what it is if I really want technology, to. Technology, man. But they all stick them in the same bag. So if I really want to know what I'm eating, and you got a barcode scan the food. Yes, I have to scan, and I didn't feel like doing that. Um, Having had babies and then baby food, <laughs> I imagine that there are some where the barcode scanner would be like, "Look, you don't want to eat that." Yeah. Like <laughs> seriously, that, that is used for giving that. your cat pills. That is not really something for humans. That's I'm, when the cat won't take its medicine. <laughs> your your boyfriend, Cody. Cody is Sarah's boyfriend, y'all. Um, yes, Cody is my boyfriend. Old, my old guide dog. Um, had massive surgery back in right around Thanksgiving for a tumor. I'm like, it's if we don't have enough tumors in this house. He wanted to be like you. Don't he rain did. on he his dream. Great aspirations. <laughs> well, no, because he was better than me. He did this like massive thing and his tumor was benign. So he was like, <sighs> dude, see, this is how you do this human. Let me show you just how this works. <laughs> Really, what I you, felt. You that grow was... a grapefruit and then you just take it out, and it's like no big deal. No, his wasn't a grapefruit. His was a baby. My dog had a baby. He had a six-pound tumor taken out. Holy his... cow! Yeah, it's like a C-section. Uh, apparently, they've seen tumors up to thirteen pounds. I'm like, how does that Ugh. fit there? No. Oh, so he's fine now. He's fine. Oh my gosh, he's Cody. He. There was a game we call in this house, we call it dog sledding. So my Ferdinand, <laughs> my current guide dog, will lay on his back with his legs in the air and hold the toy in his mouth. And right. Kodak will grab it and pull the dog, Ferdinand, on his back through the house. <laughs> he just lays Whee! there on his back like, Whee! And it's a good thing yours and Pratik's hearing is probably well-tuned to dog fur on hardwood and dog, dog fur on rugs. Like, oh, sledding, don't go that way. Right. Look at because the guide dog is not guiding you if he's sledding. It's 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 a, no. you can't do both. Like, <laughs> upside down. I'm like, there is no dignity involved in this. You understand that you are a guide dog, but right now you are a sled. You are a dog and you are a sled. Yes. Okay, Whee! bye. Time out. <laughs> and Kodak is, you know, within like three or four weeks of surgery, he was back to pulling Ferdinand around the house. So I'm Yay. like, dude, how does this work? Dude, really? I mean, you, you know what your body can do, Kodak, but um, yeah, don't pull your stitches. <laughs> I, I wouldn't, I mean, I, when I had a C-section with my younger son, I wasn't allowed to go up and down the stairs more than a couple times a day and I couldn't lift things. <laughs> and like, you know, I had a two-year-old who's like, pick me up. And I was right. like, no, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know we if were... I would have pulled him around the room either. So my guide in between Ferdy and Kodak uh, was Whidbey. Whidbey. Little... He now lives out in California, right? Nope. She lives with a friend of mine in uh, Lynn, which is about 30 to 40 minutes away from my house in Cambridge ah, and East Coast um, yes normally she would have reverted back to her puppy raisers but her puppy raisers live in California and that would have been an extra plane ride and her puppy raisers are incredibly perceptive and wanted to make sure that would be 
was able to see them and me and um, they have a place up in New Hampshire so they can come visit her when they want to. And my friend had just lost her Labrador a couple weeks before I had an emergency retirement for Woodby because panic attacks. Poor thing. I have my gosh, that was horrendous. Um, but they stipulated if we retire her and Shar adopts her, we have one request, and that is that she become a, a therapy dog or find another job because that right. dog was built to work. Her brain is built to figure stuff out. Right. She's a rocket scientist, the rocket and the scientist. Um, <laughs> so she and Kodak and Ferdinand, we all got together for Thanksgiving. And this was right after Cody's surgery. Like, he didn't even have his stitches out yet. And I'm like, okay, so how are we going to keep them all from, like, destroying your house, first of all, Char, which mm-hmm. is would be human now. Um, and how are we going to not have them destroy Kodak? And she's like, well, stick the young ones outside. They can go sit at the kids' table. And Kodak can, you know, hang out at our feet and watch our food and give us the guilt trip for not feeding him all the turkey. Um, so the... Whippersnappers, the two and three-year-old Labradors, got banished to the backyard, and they had a blast. And Kodak hung out with the grown-ups at the grown-up table, and then I ate the turkey. They came in, and you know, um, they the fact that all of them have been guide dogs and kind of know how to switch off play mode worked to our advantage because we were like, no, you guys have to to you know behave yourselves. And Cody got to jump up on the couch and sit with us. Um, which kept the two young ones on the floor. And they were like, fine, we'll just play down here. And Kodak was like, I want to go play. And I'm like, no, you can't go play. And Kodak's like, you're rude. <laughs> but So he got baby food. That was the only way I could get him to eat his dinner the weekend after the surgery. Was Seriously, that's why some of these baby foods exist. Baby food into his kibble and feed yep. him by hand a piece at a time with baby food all over my fingers. So I'm like, this is this is the height of gloriful, glory, beautiful humanity is feeding my Labrador with like, your hands. Chicken and gravy all over my fingers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm there. I understand that completely. <laughs> so let me ask you, when we were emailing, yes. you mentioned that um, you're working on music and that Scottish music is becoming more popular. Oh, yes. Um, so Outlander hit. Oh, yes. It, it hit many of us. It hit hard. And it they did a really cool, cool, cool thing in that Gaelic is very strongly used. They, they went with kind of a more modern approach to an ancient um, tradition and an ancient language. And um, they know that there are those of us who still speak it um, fluently. And they, you speak Gaelic. I do. Get the hell out. Yep. Um, So they, we, they went with a, an approach where they, they use native speakers, they consulted native experts, and they used um, common Scottish music that is kind of known to everybody. Um, but those who, you know, if you like Celtic Thunder, Celtic Woman, that's that's fine, but they went with the more traditional or trad um, roots. Mm-hmm. And people were like, oh, there's more to this. There's, you know, Scottish stuff and Irish stuff has always kind of been like the big thing the big pop culture icon but it the traditional folk side of it has hit this huge resurgence um since outlander showed up and record labels are like oh yeah hey there's there's this let's go capitalize on it and all the artists are like we are independent but we're not opposed to making a buck or two Mm -hmm. (laughs) so 
Celtic Connections is this huge festival that happens in Glasgow and they're they're having I want to say it was like 250 or something huge like that music execs show up and hundreds of of bands and artists are there our favorite peat bog fairies were down there they just headed home a couple days ago um (laughs) this is where the licensing is going to get inked so if if a song gets featured in a commercial or on a tv uh show or something like that around the world all these artists are signing these deals right now for the year money is getting spent um songs are getting recorded in studio because all the artists are in the same spot at the same time. They're like, Hey, let's just go, you know, go get this done. Um, so a lot of artists within the next month or two are dropping albums, capitalizing on their performance here at, at Celtic connections. And, um, so there's a ton of amazing Scottish music coming out in the next two months. Ooh. And you're going to send me some and tell me what to, uh, play, right? Oh yeah. Um, the album I'm currently obsessing over is Emily Smith's new album, which is coming out. I want to say it's like February 9th or 16th. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is absolutely stunning. Fabulous. Um, and it's mostly vocals. We feature all instrumental music on the podcast. Yes, we this, do. This one has a lot of, of vocals, which is, I, I work with amazing artists and labels who feature more vocal work. Um, and the vocal isn't a problem. It's when the vocal is spoken in English, because then it's then it's going to confuse if I'm right. talking over it. If it's my, right. I think that's called the bed when I'm talking. Yes. Um, check me out. And you know, outro is totally a word. Outro is totally a word. Yeah, my, I'm still arguing <laughs> about this with Adam, but he's he's willing to he's willing to concede because it's usable in Scrabble. Oh no, we we use it in the studio all the time, so right. you can tell him the experts say outro is a word. You win. <laughs> But um, if it, if there's if there's talking or singing in English, then it makes it harder, I think, for people to separate my voice from the other right. voice. But if it's just vocalization and um, okay, there's a there's a term for this, and it just flew out of my. Is it okay? So the the theme song to I love my brain, Harry's game, which was done by Clannad, has is it mouth sounds voice mouth music? Yeah, mouth music. Okay, there I was go. I was kind of close. She's got the the Gaelic folk traditions down. Mouth music was invented um, by the Hebridean or the the Western Isles of Scotland. Um, It's commonly used out there. They have mouth music and they have walking music, which in, I want to say it was episode five of Outlander, they show an episode of of how mouth or uh, walking music works. And it's the women are dyeing wool and... Um, passing it from hand to hand to work the wool to to become right. tartan and clothing and whatnot, um, and they're using urine to you know dye the wool and it's yes. smelly and it's miserable work um, and the, everything is boiled and hot and gross. So they're singing in time to keep the the wool from getting tangled up and they're they're keeping rhythm, um, and that's why walking music was invented was for these women to all sing in time as they pass the wool. Um, and mouth music is the same thing. It's it's Gaelic, but it's a lot of times it's just nonsensical kind of rephrasing of words and things um, that were used by people just to kind of keep time as they chopped peat or fished or did whatever they had to do to keep their lives moving while it was freezing and the wind was whipping off of the, the ocean and life is hard and they made the best of it by coming up with these great <laughs> songs.
Kappa Kaylee and Karen Matheson. Karen Matheson just put out a new album in September mm-hmm. called Urim. And there's a great example of mouth music on that album. Um, she's kind of the classically, she's been around for 35 years, maybe. Um, she's kind of the legend of Scotland uh, yeah. as far as all of these Western Isles and, and Highlands traditions goes. But she put out this amazing album and it's got mouth music. It's got walking music. She is kind of known for seeing the examples of that, that the Western world can hear and, and use. So if, while I'm editing, I wanted to drop a sample of mouth music into our conversation. Mm-hmm. What, what would you recommend and how much of it can I play before somebody's like, whoa, whoa there, whoa. I will actually send you a track uh, Sweet. within like 30 minutes. Um, Technology, man. Barcodes on baby food and instant music. Instant music. What Capric- a time to be alive. Capper Kaylee has several albums that have great, a, a bunch of stuff on it. So you can pick um, Sweet. which one you want. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Let's take a break for a quick sample of what we were just talking about. This is Clonaud and the theme from Harry's Game. So that'll make the hair stand up on the back of your neck, right? Yeah, totally. The next piece is a sample of what Sassy recommended. This is Capricaly. This is called Finley's. And it's another example of mouth music, which is really cool if you start to listen to a lot of it. So another question for you, Mm ma'am. You have been dealing with a lot of crap. And you mentioned when we were emailing that there's a lot of ways in which you've seen how cancer and disability and a love life work together. Yes. <laughs> Just a little bit. Is, 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 does Pratik need to leave the room if we're going to talk about this? No, he's not in the room. He, oh. is, he is currently out there keeping the dogs from destroying the house. Um, well, that's we, kind of his job. Why would you stop him? <laughs> we just got the Christmas tree completely put away this week. We had the ornaments off for weeks, but we finally had time to stop and put the tree away. So I think the dogs are like, we have the corner of the living room back. We can go destroy stuff over here. We just reincarnated their favorite toy, Louis the Sixth. Uh, the toughy toy crab. So I'm sure they're currently using their crab to annoy him and he's trying to get work done. So, uh, boys, um, boys, <laughs> yeah. Disability and, and romance. So here's that's hard... kind of a, that's kind of a topic that's being discussed in a much larger sense in a lot of different places. It's huge right now, especially in, in romance literature, heroes and heartbreakers just had this great guest post, like Chloe, um, you know what? I meant to look up her last name before we got on this call, and I didn't. Um, Fear not. I will link. But she talks about uh, chronic disease in romance and how the way we've always seen romance frame, romance literature frame um, disease and disability is the the victim. Um, the something horrible is happening to me. The hero swoops in, fixes it, or takes care of the heroine, or is attracted to the heroine because... 
she's reduced by the thing that she's facing. Oh, Chloe Barlow. Her novels take place in Pittsburgh. Uh-huh. I have yes. not read her. so I, This is that... a steel town. It's a gateway love novel. And... I one-clicked that. I, I one-clicked the hell out of that piece. After she wrote that guest blog, I was like, oh, I need this book. Um, I have not read it, though, yet. Because dealing with chronic illness is, like you said, the emphasis is usually on, if not outright healing and recovery, then right. saving. and How does this make me less than, or how does this make me need the hero to fix me? Mm-hmm. The fi- I, I call it the fix me savior syndrome. Um or the, the fuck me savior syndrome. <laughs> Whatever it could be one or both, depending on the genre. Um, and it really, really... I think a lot of us who actually live that life have a problem with that because that's not how it works. And I didn't realize it until as an adult with a sex life and cancer, I started going through it and a not conventional sex life. I have a, I have many different um, pieces of, of my sexuality and my love life that are, are non monogamous, non, uh, hetero they're they're very different compared to most people so you're kinky and poly and queer i am nice i i don't talk about it much but i do feel that it's important to talk about it on here because people need to know that it's okay and i had a recent experience that was just perfect demonstration of this and that is that you can be laying in a hospital bed with tubes all over you and your partner can walk in and see your brainwaves on the screen and be like, let's conduct an experiment. And right there in front of the camera while they're watching you for seizures, he can just grab you. Oh, no. In the hospital bed and be like, you are still totally hot to me. Oh, for real? For real. That's awesome. It was. It was pretty badass. It was. It was one of those moments where you just kind of. You don't think of yourself as sexy. You think of yourself, we societally condition ourselves to believe that when you are in a hospital or when you are facing a chronic disability or illness, that you're not sexy. We asexualize disability and we asexualize chronic disease so badly in society and in romance novels in particular that tri sexy gets taken out when you are sick. Yep. You can't possibly be both at the same time. And when he did that, and he's like, I want to find out what happens to your brain if I do this. And cops a feel under the covers. I was like, <laughs> did you just? And I just stared at him. <laughs> um, I went, I, like, the last thing I feel right now, having, you know, just recently used a bedpan and had a seizure and you can see my brainwaves on the monitor. He's like, that's the fun part. Like, I can watch what this does to you. And I'm like, you are twisted, but okay. Um, and and you are totally on board with this. I was totally on board. So with it's this not a question like, of of lack of consent. It's oh, like, no. oh, hey, this is, this is fun. It was, I was like, I I, the last that. thing I feel with glue all over my head and a <laughs> monitor on my head. Can and... we borrow that brainwave monitor just for a couple of days? We'll Seriously. bring it right back. We promise. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, and I think that was his point was that you can be as sick as a dog. And, and you, you are, are still, still beautiful des- and you're and you still, still desirable sexy, and you are still hot. Yes. And sex doesn't have to be this traditional deflowering of the virgin. You don't even have to freaking orgasm. I kind of, and I'm going to plug her hugely. Megan Hart does this thing in her books where she doesn't always have the heroine orgasms. The, the heroine can hook up with other men besides her hero. Um, Cause this came up. Oh my gosh, you had the most amazing guest rant on this 
last week, I think it was. About slut um, shaming? Slut shaming and, and multiple partners and things like that throughout a book. Yep. I write that. When I write my romance novels, that's what I write. I write hero heroines who they do their thing. They're they're not ashamed of their bodies and their sexual wants and desires. But orgasms don't always mean great sex, and great sex doesn't always mean orgasms. It doesn't. But if there's not cresting and shattering and great waves, then oh how do we know God. he's the one? Sassy, come on! You're dismantling the foundation of singular monogamy here. Which I, I got that. Which is kind of like the whole point. <laughs> I got that so bad when I started showing my books around to beta readers. Um, that was the primary feedback I would get was she's not supposed to be with other people or she's not supposed to, you know, get an orgasm from somebody who's not the hero. And I'm like, well, she did. What do you want? <laughs> like, um, it's, it's almost I, like one of the things I notice a lot of times when I'm reading and thinking about all the different sex scenes that I read is that for much of the time, the sex is from the heroine's point of view. And mm -hmm. for much of the build of tension, there is some sort of barrier that substitutes for virginity. There's something that they're not going to do until it is their relationship is established. And you can't have this wandering wild vagina wandering about having sex with other people and having orgasms. We can't have that. It needs to be contained and focused on one person. Which is why disability and chronic illness makes such a great vagina cage. They really do. Oh my god! Um, I think I'm gonna have to title this end this episode "Vagina Cages." <laughs> I'm not really sure like what'll happen when I do that, but we'll see. Oh dear, this is gonna get me into trouble. Um, so how do you combat the asexual asexuality of people who have disability and chronic diseases? You portray them having wild, happy orgasms. In romance? No. You figure out moments like when my partner walked into the hospital and still saw me as hot as hell, yep. even though I'm in a hospital gown. And um, you you sit there and you go, oh, my gosh. So I'm not – and you have to figure that out in real life before you realize – I did anyway. Yeah. I mean, and I've, I've known that that's a thing, but we always hear that guys like girls with makeup on and perfect and nah, 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 bullshit. Um, you have to have an experience or have an understanding that your worth, your sexual worth is not, or your character's sexual worth as a writer or as a, a reader reading a character like that is not wrapped up in that cage. It's not, how did the, the reviewer put it? Um, that you had intellect and promiscuity are not mutually exclusive. Yep. Um, you don't have to be uh, s smart to have, you know, a virgin vagina. You know, <laughs> that cage is not a thing. Yep. Um, and, and that people are more than one thing. If you are stupid, that does not automatically make you a slut. If your IQ is less than, that doesn't, you can have an IQ of one freaking 80 and, you know, hook up with people wherever you want that's mm -hmm. not a thing um but it is in in romance novels and i think we need to to look at this and go why and that gets into the whole disability and or uh excuse me diversity and, and romance and we need to look at our, our reading preferences especially because writers can write but also people are people when you look when you look at the asexualization of people with disabilities and people with chronic illnesses especially in the world as created by romance novels like if all the romance novels everywhere all combined to have just one 
the, it was one world, right? And all the characters inhabited it. And that was its culture. The combined um, messages and the combined pieces of the culture were all part oh, of that world. Oh my gosh, that'd be bad. Well, yes, it would be enormously bad. If you, when you reduce people to just one thing, then sexuality is never part of that one thing. And what we we don't recognize so much when we're writing, but came out very clearly yesterday. There was a, a Twitter exchange I happened to catch. Um, was when we write that way, mm-hmm. we who read it, readers you who have never experienced it. disability firsthand, we internalize it. So I'm, I come in, I'm obviously aware, I'm obviously cognizant, I'm obviously making my own medical decisions and, and have a fairly high intellect rate. And yet, because I come in disabled with a neurological and a visual impairment, one of the nurses, her instant question to me, and this was not the emergency room. This was after admission where you've taken a patient history. You know something about this patient. You know what this patient does for work. You know this patient does work. You know this mm-hmm. patient has a life. And her question to me was, what group home are you in? And I'm like, excuse me? Oh, no. Which no, there's nothing wrong no. with. If you are in a group home, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But you need to look at a person-by-person basis, not as a disability-related basis the person is not the disability um which gets into person first language i'm not even gonna go there that's a disability advocacy thing but it's it's indicative of this idea that we have like you said that you are that one thing yes and you can't possibly be anything beyond that and the portrayal of women echoes that it we we have to fit women characters into virgin um crone what's the third one Maid mother, maid mother, mother from, maiden mother. Yeah. Thank you. I was like, mistress, mother, mother, miss. No, that's not right. Mother superior. No, that's wrong. Yep. Uh, it, we, we, we assign a singular role to women as well. If you're a mother, yep. then you're absolutely asexual. If right. you're a mother, there's no more sexy times for you. No, <laughs> you can't possibly have a kid and get laid. No, 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 no. That's no. bad. That's terrible. Terrible, terrible, horrible. What are you going to, what are you talking about? So, one of the things that I one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, though, is when you are dealing with all of these chronic problems, and I'm assuming you can hear my dogs losing their shit. <laughs> so we move. Well, you know, it's a constant party at, at your house, right? I oh mean, yes, yes. It's the um, hot pink palace of bitchery is where all the dogs go to get their dog on, right? Uh, only if you have massive anxiety and require Prozac. One of my dogs <laughs> is afraid of like air currents, chihuahuas. <laughs> one of my dogs is small and friendly and is like, "Hey, let's hang out." And then the larger one is terrified, only likes the one dog. His best friend is or his brother is the only dog he's allowed to have near him. And any every other dog, including like the tiniest little fluff ball that would never hurt anyone, he's like, "No, no, 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 bad, bad, <laughs> very bad. Oh, this is bad." Like, and it's full on, and it's it's horrible. Like we have Prozac and a Thunder shirt, and he has a pheromone collar. Like I will do anything to try to make him more calm. Yep. But it's like you know the the fur on the back of his shoulders goes up, his eyes eyes get oh, wide yeah. and his eyes roll back and he's his his lips go back and I'm like oh dude dude it's a chihuahua and he's asleep it's okay no <laughs> no not okay the lady not okay we need to go now so yeah it's <laughs> anxiety dog party time anyway so I had one of those that's why she retired except yeah. it was airplanes not chihuahuas oh poor poor thing <laughs> so what are some things that you have read recently that you recommend? What are some things that you've enjoyed? It doesn't have to be about disability, illness, chronic illness. Because, I mean, it's 
I don't plan the, the episodes far ahead. I usually work no. about three or four episodes ahead. But, you know, we had Elise in December talking about chronic illnesses and sexy times and how she has fibro and, and, right. and how dealing with chronic pain affects the way you see romance. So I don't plan this in ahead, but apparently the themes for the next few episodes have been chronic problems. Let's portray <laughs> them accurately and not suck. <laughs> So what what have you read that you totally recommend? It doesn't have to be disability focused. Um, Hold Me Close by Megan Hart. Yes, I'm I'm doing a Megan plug again. Um, I am totally just, fine with this. Just just came out uh, a month or two ago, and it talks about two characters who were kidnapped as again not a Sarah book. Um, were kidnapped as teenagers and held hostage together for years. Um, at this guy's house and the guy abused the boy, not the girl, but oh. she was around. Sorry. I know not your thing. Um, it's okay. So it's they not both... my thing. I still have, you know, my surfeit of empathy going, no, no. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's a, it's a hard book to read. Um, I even had like the whoa on this one. Uh, normally I can read her stuff and kind of just roll with it, especially like the disability related things, but this one even got me. Um, but the characters come out of that with some some PTSD and some past and some some shit, and they um, become lovers during the time that they are imprisoned together, mm-hmm. and they are their primary source of support because they get each other. They know why they can't drink uh, something if it's not clear liquid. Mm-hmm. Um, they know why they can't eat something unless they can look at every ingredient on that plate. Mm-hmm. Um, they just have these little quirks that they both have and they both share and they get each other completely. And yet one of the characters feels like that should be the thing that brings them together forever and happily ever after. And the other characters like, but no, I don't want to keep reliving my past. I want to try to put it behind me and tries and tries and tries and can't and feels angry with herself that she can't put it back. She can't get away from it. Um, and so they go, Circles are vicious. Hello, Aaron Sorkin. Um, they they go around and around and around this circle, and they try to try to um, get beyond that, and they can't, and they they keep trying, and they don't. That's the beautiful part of this book. That's what made this book for me is they don't magically break out of it. They don't fix each other. They don't savior each other. They support each other, and mm-hmm. that was the the difference for me with enjoying this book versus like throwing my phone across the room going I hate this book was the character support and the I am messed up um but I'm still a person and I can still have sex and I can still be you know desirable and I still want to appreciate who I am I think one of the most powerful things about romance is the idea that there is a person who's going to say I get it yeah I don't have that experience or I don't have all of it but I get it I understand it's okay right and it's it's empathy versus sympathy and I so there's this thing right now that bugs the crap out of me where we do this profiling and it's a pop culture thing. And we say, never date a narcissist, never date a sociopath, never date um, or the top 10 ways that you can tell that your partner is um, whatever. And we start examining the people we're with and looking for problems or things to be aware of and red flags. And yeah, you have to be careful with people you're with because some people are going to treat you badly that's not that's perfectly valid but when we start labeling people by things that can have multiple implications like 
sometimes if you don't understand social cues, you have autism, or maybe you're not diagnosed, but you might identify a little bit on that spectrum. That also can be a crossover with somebody who's a raging sociopath serial killer. And by the way, sociopaths and serial killers are not always the same thing. They're not bad. We have this idea that if you bring mental illness, which, yes, can be construed as a disability or a defect in romance novels in, mm-hmm. go away the sexy. And no, it doesn't work like that. Um, and people who have low levels of empathy or have very hard time connecting and understanding or even feeling the emotions of other people are not necessarily going to go on a rampage and start killing them. Which is why alpha heroes pay out millions of dollars per year to different authors. <laughs> Just bringing that up. No. <laughs> well, you know what? It's weird. He's an alpha hero because he is largely unconcerned with the feelings of others and does, does what, he, what he wants to do. Right. But at the same time, he can magically sense all of these things about the heroine's sexuality that she has no idea about. And she's one-dimensional. As long as he satisfies her sexually and knows what she wants you know, five years in advance sexually, then he's like the perfect guy. Um, and that makes him the hero. No, um, that's not a thing. <laughs> I mean, it is because it obviously generates funds in the romance genre. Hello, mm-hmm. uh, Christian Grey. Um, get out of my house. Never come back. I hate you. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, we have this this pervasive idea again and it's romance literature carries over into real life and vice versa we bring our real life conception of disability and mental illness and and slut shaming romance women slut shaming into our romance novels and it's there because it exists as uh, carolyn jewel pointed out in the conversation on the site yeah it's there because it's there and do we do it is it a writer perpetuated thing is it a publisher perpetuated thing or is it a reader perpetuated thing or is it all three i think it's all three i personally I agree. And- so i am guessing that rt is not on your agenda this year rt is not on my agenda this year because i hate vegas uh it has nothing to do with the health stuff i will be at rwa in san diego Yay! i cannot wait because rwa is doing lots and lots of things that there was a couple of years where I was not doing RWA because website and accessibility issues, mm-hmm. but um, they are now. That's a, that's engaging a very in a dialogue about that. They so. are very attentive to that now. They are, and I'm hugely proud of that and glad of that, and plan to take full advantage of it when it comes to fruition. Because yay! Um, and it's not just the accessibility of the website, but the the physical accessibility of the conference itself. That's a huge thing. Yeah, they're. They're hearing what's being said, which not a lot of people are. The, okay, so this has been a thing, again, Twitter. I, I spend way too much time on the Twitters, as your mother-in-law calls it. The Twitter. <laughs> on the Twitter. <laughs> um, no, but they have had a lot of issues come up, and not just in, in romance-related conferences, but in cons in general accessibility has been a huge problem. There are people who can't get up and get their awards because stage equals ramp and stairs stairs, and no ramp and person in wheelchair equals no ramp, no access. Um, Right. It doesn't matter how much you stare at those set of steps. It's not going to convert itself into a ramp just because you stare at it. I wish that would be great. RWA is, is looking at this and they're looking at the fact that they have chapter meetings. They have a giant national conference and they've had issues with hotels who don't completely make things accessible. Um, RT did this great event in New Orleans, but a lot of it was not accessible. Oh, yeah. You can't take a wheelchair on 
cobblestones and bar hopping and And no and this became a topic for conversation for months and months and months was there were some major screw-ups as far as accessibility and i'm sorry but that's not you can't have screw-ups with accessibility these days without it becoming a a legal issue and be a spot for discourse to talk about how do we fix it and when you get the blow off when That's you get the, good. we're not going to fix it because it wasn't an issue. Well, yeah, it was. If it was an issue to people who couldn't access your thing. They weren't there because they couldn't be. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what we call segregation. This is what we call exclusionary. We don't do that. And RWA is saying openly, we've had accidents where that has happened in the past. So we don't want to have that happen anymore. And we want to talk about it. Um, One of the things that I find so shocking is when I've traveled internationally and done conferences in Canada and Australia, mm. the level of accessibility is so much greater. And there are so many more people in various modes of, of transport and assistive transport because yeah. they can get to where they need to go. Mary Robinette Kowal did um, GenreCon this past year, and I was a guest I think, three years ago, two years ago, three years ago. Three, it was She's almost been four. a huge advocate and a huge voice for this. And she was like, I, there are people here in all manner of assistive um, pieces of technology to help them get around because they can get here because it's already open and safe and welcoming. And it's and I'm seeing them because they're here because they can be. And America conferences in, in the States need to get better about this. Mm-hmm. So we I'm, like. I am we, really glad. We like to look at ourselves at the U.S. I'm. I'm gonna just call us out as it is. We like to look at ourselves as this very progressive country that nope. has a first-rate medical system and a first-rate <laughs> viewpoint for people nope. who. Have, no, we're not. We're not. I've been in Europe recently, and the, when I was in Spain, it was like, oh, you know, she's disabled. I'm not gonna look twice at her. When I walk through a restaurant in the United States, it gets quiet. I get stared at. I mm-hmm. mean, like, and that's just my daily life. I walk through CVS to go pick up prescriptions. I get stared at when I walk across and you the can street, sense that. I am the thing. Everybody sitting at the stoplight is watching me cross that street. And whether it's because a cool dog and human working together or B, oh my gosh, there's a blind person. Oh, Why no, are you, you out and about doing things? Uh, uh, uh. What group home are you from? I'm from uh, the group home of I'm going to plant my foot in your ass if you do that again. What um, group home are you from? Just because you are disabled does not mean I fit into your little neat box of what oh, disabled God. means. Oh, God. I'm, I'm just I cringing. fit into nobody's little neat box of anything other than my foot is going to kick your ass if you do that again. So don't do that. Um, we have, as a U.S., we have this idea that we are the leaders in things. And we have the ADA and we have these great laws that allow us access, but we don't utilize them. Nope. Which is why service dog access is a huge problem, which is why con access is a huge problem and the only way it's going to change is not if we look at the law and point at the law every time something goes wrong and say let's leave it to the department of justice to figure this out um there was an article that came up recently that i can link you to because links are good um in new york times magazine where a mother gave birth to a child a 19 year old mother gave birth to a child and she had an iq of around 70 and a nurse instantly assumed that disabled means you can't parent and the mother had the child removed for two years in foster care and fought back against uh the department of child and family services of massachusetts and got her child back because she had the assistance of her parents to be a parent um she had support she had help and she wanted to to be a parent and disability doesn't make you a bad parent. But in 37 States in this country, we still have laws that say 
the only justification that they need to take your kid away is that you are disabled. We still live in that world. And the only way that it's going to change is not if we look at like the Department of Justice to fix it. It's going to be if we change it in our minds by, you know, romance novels and reading about it or by living it and seeing disabled people out and about, like Mary pointed out, Mm -hmm. doing their lives. And we become comfortable with that. Or we talk about cancer and what it does to you and that you're still sexy as hell when you're laying in a hospital bed. The only way that this changes is if we have a dialogue about it, we stop running from it in fear and shame and we stop slut shaming and disability shaming and diversity shaming. Diversity shaming shouldn't be a thing, but it is. Yep. And that is all for this week's podcast. I want to thank Sassy for taking the time to hang out with me and talk about all the things. I will have links to many of the things that she discussed in the podcast entry on Smart Pitches, Trashy Books, and along with the show notes come all of the books that we talked about too. Plus, I'm going to have links to the different pieces of music that we talked about should you wish to buy them because they're pretty rad. The music that you are hearing right now was provided by Sassy Outwater, and if you'd like to keep up with her, you can follow her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. This is Capper Cayley. This is Finley's from their album, Beautiful Wasteland. You can find that on Amazon or iTunes or wherever you buy your music. And I will have links to this album and the song on the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com. If you would like to email the podcast with questions or ideas or unsolvable math problems, I wouldn't recommend that last one. You can reach us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. And you all have really interesting email messages, so please keep emailing us. In the meantime, on behalf of Sassy and myself and everybody here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend. I don't know, 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 I don't know,